I hope that you are here and that you are excited to spend some time in the Word of God this morning. Uh, with that in mind, join me in turning to Acts chapter 9 this morning. Uh, and I confess this morning, I am excited about our sermon this morning, but maybe for the wrong reasons. I get to go on vacation when I'm done, so <laughs> mixed motives. But um, yeah, but you know what? Just like sometimes we need to take a vacation uh, because, you know, we need to just rest and recharge our bodies and our minds. Something else that we need in our lives, especially when we're going through those times when we're struggling, uh, times that are tough, is encouragement. Uh, you know, sometimes we need someone else to kind of come along beside us when we're down and help just pick us up. Uh, and that's actually what our passage is going to be speaking about to us uh, today. Uh, for th- for, so for those of you at home, whether you're here in person, let me encourage you, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9 as we see Saul. Saul's struggles are met by a Barnabas boost. Uh, and our passage will be verses 22 to 31, again, from Acts chapter 9. If you'd like to follow along as I read, the words will be on the screen uh, or in your Bibles. So verse 22, it says, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoken to him. And how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and he disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Let's pray. Father God, again, as we open your word, uh, Lord, we just pray that, Lord, you would enable us to see, enable us to hear all the truth that you would have us here this morning. Uh, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be just at work in our hearts, um, just guiding us into the truth, that, Lord, you would be in me, that, Lord, you would give me the strength and, and, and just the, the unction uh, to proclaim these words, and that, Lord, again, that this truth would be something that is transformational to our lives, not something we just hear and forget, but, Lord, uh, something that changes us and actually makes us more and more into the likeness of your Son, Christ Jesus. We ask again that you would be with us in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of my favorite authors, uh, Charles Swindoll, uh, he actually tells a story of a time that he learned to ski. And he says that it consisted mostly of, you know, highly unsuccessful attempts sliding down the hill on various different body parts. Yet with him that day was a very patient skiing instructor about whom he said, never once did she lose her cool. 
Never once did she laugh. Never once did she yell or scream. Never once did she call him a name like dummy. Never once did she say, you're impossible, I quit. She simply repeated the same basics time and time again and offered him words of assurance the entire time. And by his own confession, he would say, had it not been for her words, I would pretty quickly have given up. That day, encouraging words from another person gave Swindoll the strength and the willpower to continue. And perhaps that's why Swindoll would later write that a lack of encouragement is almost an epidemic. Many Christians are dying on the vine for lack of encouragement from other believers. And he says, I firmly believe that an individual is never more Christ-like than when full of compassion for those who are down, needy, discouraged, or forgotten. How terribly essential is our commitment to encouragement? And again, that's important because, you know what, no matter who you are or where you are in your life right now, there will likely come a time when you feel discouraged, when you feel like throwing in the towel, when you feel like just giving up and giving in. Hard times, struggles, and trials, they come for all of us. And when those times come, we often, we need encouragement to just help keep us going and give us the strength to press on. And that's exactly what Saul is about to find out himself as we come to our passage this morning in Acts chapter 9. And this is actually may come as a surprise to some because as we heard last week, God had been doing amazing things in Saul's life. Verse 22 says, But Saul increased all the more in strength, and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. I mean, there's amazing transformation that's happening here. Saul went from denying Jesus to proving that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. He went from persecuting the church to preaching Christ and proclaiming Christ. He went from a man who was filled with violence and anger to a man of humility and gentleness who was committed to the truth. And when you hear that and the work that God is doing in your life, you would think that you know, things should have been looking up for Paul or Saul at this point. I mean, he was right on track. He was doing all of the right things. I mean, he was saved. He was called by God. He was given a new purpose in life. He was sitting on top of the world. So you ask, what could go wrong? Well, never ask that question. Because uh, look at verse 23. It says, when many days had passed, the Jews, they plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. You know how quickly things can change. Um, I actually still remember back in my 20s, you know, I finally sort of got serious about my faith after backsliding for a while, and, you know, I really made a commitment to to just really follow after Jesus. But when I do that, did that, my my school friends at the time, they didn't know how to handle it. You know, they they didn't know how to react to the the new me. Some of them just outright rejected me, and most of us just kind of grew apart, but You know, that's nothing compared to Saul's old friends. Because Saul's old friends, the guys he used to hang out with, suddenly are his new very powerful enemies. I mean, the very people who who stood beside Saul, who were patting him on the back when he was persecuting the church, going, Saul, good job, good job. They're now like looking to stick a dagger in his back, you know, now that he's part of that church they were persecuting. 
Because as much as these men, you know, wanted to deny what Saul was saying, they couldn't deny what they saw happening in Saul's life with their own eyes. And it's a very powerful lesson to us, I think, that, you know, the people in your life, they may try to deny your truth and the truth of the Word of God, but they can't deny the changes that they see in your life because of Christ Jesus. People will notice how you live. And the way that you live your life is, is in many ways, a sermon. It's a truth that people can't ignore. Of course, Saul's friends didn't ignore it. They hated him for it, uh, all the things that they heard and saw in his life right now. And true to form, if you, you know, these guys, if you can't silence them, you might as well kill them. It's, it's, almost, it's almost like a Pharisee never saw a problem a good funeral couldn't fix. It's like very simple thinking. Uh, and these men were serious about this. We're told day and night, day and night, they were on the lookout. They were so eager to see Saul dead, they actually took shifts looking out for him. Saul's life was in very real danger at this point. And because of that, they come up with this plan uh, to get Saul somewhere, you know, out of there. In verse 25, we see, but his disciples took him by night and they let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. So Saul is finally safe. It's Almost crazy that you're safer outside the walls of the city than inside. But they lower him to the safety outside the walls in a basket. It's probably not the most dignified escape ever happened, but it worked. Um, but that leaves the question for Saul. He's probably asking himself, like, what next? Uh, what now? Because just imagine Saul. I mean, you're standing outside the wall of Damascus. You watch the basket being hoisted back up into the wall it's dark, it's the middle of the night, you're all alone, and you're kind of like, where do, I, like what, where do I go from here? Of course, the answer he comes up with is, it was obvious. He would go back to where it all began, back to Jerusalem, the birthplace of the church. After all, he must have thought, who better to understand everything I was going through than my fellow believers in Jerusalem? Saul would go to the church in Jerusalem. And yet, sadly, instead of help, all Saul managed to find when he got to Jerusalem was more rejection. As verse 26 tells us, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. Things just sort of, they seem to go from bad to worse for Saul here. I mean, think about where his, his enemies are persecuting him, and now his fellow believers are rejecting him. And you know when the Bible says he attempted to join them or he tried to join them, uh, the, the tense of the word that's used there is not that he, it was just like he tried once or twice. It was not like sort of a one and done thing. But rather the, the tense means that Saul tried over and over and over again to join them. He repeatedly, he kept on trying, but to no avail. Because the church just wasn't having any of it. I like how one pastor put it, Saul, when he arrived in Jerusalem, there were no ticker tape parades, there was no fanfare, not even a how you doing, Saul. Instead of the right hand of fellowship, the church offered him the proverbial left foot of see you later. That's exactly where he finds himself. And again, just think how hard this must have been for Saul when he was in that place. I mean, here he was in Jerusalem. He was all alone. I mean, he'd left everything to follow Jesus. And he'd lost his reputation. He'd lost his status in society. His former colleagues were now condemning him. His former friends probably ignored him. His family was probably ashamed of him. And now even the church had deserted him. 
And you know, for me, this is kind of, it's kind of the first moment for me in the book of Acts where you kind of get a sense of disappointment in the church. Because the church really should have been better than that. Because, you know, up until this point in, this, in the book of Acts, you know, the church had showed boldness. They showed courage. Even in the face of persecution, they were faithful. They supported each other. They were committed to holiness and helping each other and self-sacrifice. And they preached Christ and his salvation without reservation. But now we're told they're afraid. And that fear controlled them. And that means that Saul, even as a child of God, is left alone on the outside. Saul is rejected by the very people who should have been the first to embrace him. And you know, as an aside here, Saul's not alone. I still think there are many people today who in one way or another feel very rejected by a church. Whether it's because they look different or speak different or dress different, maybe they come from the wrong class or the wrong culture or the wrong race. Maybe they have the wrong financial status or, you know, the wrong politics. But whatever the reason, whenever they went to a church, they just feel like they didn't belong. That they just weren't wanted. And I know there's no perfect churches. I mean, churches are just places that are full of sinners who have been forgiven. We all make mistakes, but really what an important lesson on how essential it is for a church to be a welcoming and accepting place for people who come to us. And yet again, at the same time, I can understand why the church in Paul's day did hesitate. F.F. Bruce uh, says about this, the, the, the church likely believed a leopard could more likely change his spots than the arch persecutor of the church could become a believer. And understand, Saul was, and emphasis on the was, but when he was persecuting the church, he was a bad dude. Saul was the kind of man you should be afraid of. And he's also the kind of guy who could come up with a plot this complicated and this devious enough, you know, that they think he probably still might be tricking us. And looking back, you know, there were probably even people in that church who took it personally. I mean, they probably had friends and family who had been arrested by Paul, and they were still bitter. And perhaps most of all, they even remembered Stephen when he was murdered by the mob, and that Saul was there, you know, watching the coats, giving his approval. And I kind of ask myself, honestly, how would I feel if that was me? If I was in that place? There's a story about a little mission church in New Zealand where there was a line of worshipers who were waiting in line to receive the Lord's Supper. And suddenly for a moment, one of the young men just bolted out of line and returned to his seat in the pew. And some minutes after sitting in the pew, kind of restless, he, he got up and returned to his place in line. And his friends kind of noticed it, and it was sort of unusual. So they asked him, like, what happened? The young man explained, when I went forward, I found myself side by side with a man who some years earlier had slain my father. And I just couldn't partake of the Lord's Supper with him. So I returned to my pew. And yet as I sat there, I thought about Jesus' statement at the Lord's Supper at the first Lord's Supper, he says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that's when I return to take communion. But you know, 
that's how it must have been for the church when they looked at Saul. When they looked at him, they saw a man who had killed and imprisoned and arrested the people they loved. And it's perfectly natural to fear someone that dangerous. But I guess here's the thing. The question that I ask is, since when has the church ever been about what's perfectly natural? Because the church is about what is supernatural. The church is about God, who's bigger than all things, being at work. It's about Jesus changing lives in ways we can't even understand. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit just to transform hearts, even if it's hearts we think would never change. I know, thankfully for Saul and for us, there is one man in that church, maybe one man alone, who saw things differently. One man who, instead of rejection, offered acceptance and encouragement to Saul as a new believer in Christ. And we meet him in verse 27. It says, But Barnabas took him, and he brought him to the apostles, and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how, at how Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And you know, I guess what struck me this week is that's only one verse. It's one verse in our passage. It's one book in the one verse in the whole book of Acts. It's one verse even in the entire Bible. But you know, the events of this one verse it changed the world, and I'm not overstating that. As Barnabas steps up, and I'm pretty sure that you know, if you ever had the chance to meet Barnabas, he would be a person you just love to be around. I mean, we're told he was selfless and gracious and generous, and he loved to help, and he loved to support others. He loved to encourage people. I mean, he's the kind of guy that everybody wants 12 of them in your, in your church. In fact, Barnabas, we're told, wasn't even his real name. We learn back in Acts chapter 4, his real name was Joseph. Barnabas was just the nickname that everyone called him because he was so, he, because of who he was. It means son of encouragement, which tells you a lot about his character. And you know what? True to form, Barnabas, here in our passage, we see him stepping up and doing what his name says, doing what he does best, which is he comes alongside Saul and he encourages him when he's in need. Because you know what? When everyone else in that church looked at Saul, they saw his past. They saw Saul, who was the persecutor of the church. But when Barnabas looked at Saul through his heart of encouragement, he saw something very different, someone very different. Barnabas saw a man with all of the marks of an authentic faith in Christ Jesus. Saul had made a public declaration of faith in Christ and he'd been baptized. Saul had become one with the believers of Damascus, entering into the fellowship of a local church. And Saul had become a preacher of the good news to the lost, proclaiming to them the truth of Christ crucified. And you know, we kind of skipped over it before, but back in verse 25, it says, But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening of the wall. When it says his disciples there, they're talking about Saul's disciples. Because Saul was not just preaching Christ, he was actively discipling other Christian men and women in Damascus in their walk of faith with the Lord. And you know, Barnabas, he knew the real deal when he saw it. And I think Barnabas, just he had enough faith in God to know that even someone like Saul was not too far gone for the grace of Jesus Christ to transform him. So Barnabas does something amazing. He comes along Saul and he stands with him. 
stands with him in his life. He stands with him in the church. He stands with him before the apostles. And you know, that one simple act of acceptance, I think, changed the course of Saul's life. That simple act of acceptance, it's so powerful. There's an old story from the 60s about a hippie, a no-good, dirty, long-haired hippie, you know, crummy clothes, bare feet, who, like Saul, just got to a place in his life where he wanted to follow Jesus. He wasn't sure what to do next, so he went to church for the very first time in his life. He didn't know what to do. He came late and it was crowded. There were no sort of open places. So as he was wont to do, he just walked down the side aisle, found a spot in the, in, the, in the front, and he just sat down on the floor and began listening. And this was, as it happened, sort of a you know, more formal group of people, and they're all a bit shocked by this very strange behavior. But, you know, the minister was already preaching and the, sermon, the, you know, the ushers were distracted. It just happened. Then as the pastor continued to preach, and everybody was sort of growing more and more uncomfortable, an elderly man got up from the, his pew and with a cane in his hand slowly walked up the aisle to where this attentive but dirty young hippie was sitting on the floor. Of course, everybody who ever had that turn, everybody was so excited, we don't know what's going to happen. Everybody was holding their breath. No one knew what was going to happen next. And when that old gentleman got to the place where that young man was, he slowly and with obvious pain just sat down on the floor next to the young man and began to share his Bible with him as they listened together. And it just changed the room, right? That's what Barnabas did for Saul. And you know, if it wasn't for Barnabas doing that, think about how the history of this world might be different. I mean, just think about a world where Saul, the new believer, never had the opportunity to become Paul, the apostle of Christ. I mean, half of the New Testament wouldn't have been written. Countless thousands would not have been saved throughout his missionary journeys. Dozens of churches would never have been planted. And you know, the gospel may not have ever even made it to the Gentiles. Think about this. You may be sitting here in this church today because 2,000 years ago, Barnabas put his arm around Saul's shoulders and said, you know what, it's going to be okay. And that's really the heart of this message this morning. It's the power of encouragement to change lives. And again, even though it's only one verse, I want you to see just some of the things that Barnabas did in this simple interaction that made a real difference for Saul. And there's five of them. Um, first, Barnabas offered Saul his presence. You know, when others rejected Saul and he was feeling all alone, Barnabas was simply willing to be with him. And I can tell you, you know what? Just showing up sometimes and being with people, especially in times of crisis, can be a powerful thing. I like the story of about a little boy who was scared and went to his mother for a hug and The mother reminded the boy that God was with him and that God would never leave him or forsake him. And the boy answered, yes, but sometimes I just need someone with skin on, right? (laughs) And you know, we all do. And God knows that, which is why he gave us the church. He gave us each other so that we can be there for each other. You know, in the Bible, there's like 59 different commands that God gives to the church concerning the one another's. 
Uh, that we are to love one another, accept one another, greet one another, serve one another, bear with one another, live in harmony with one another, offer hospitality to one another. And one of the big ones is that we are to encourage one another. First Thessalonians 5.11, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other. And that's why our presence is so important, because we do need each other. And that, just, that starts just by showing up. And the second thing I see Barnabas doing here is that he listens to Saul. You know, it, it's interesting that when, in this passage, when Barnabas stands before the, the apostles, Barnabas is the one who does all the talking. Saul's actually silent, never says a word. And yet Barnabas gives a very detailed account of Saul and his conversion and his transformation and the work he's been doing for the Lord. So you wonder, well, how does Barnabas know all these things about Saul's life? Well, the simple answer is, he asked. And he listened as Saul shared his story. He took an interest in Saul's life. And again, you need to know that just listening to a person can be so important and so powerful. Getting together with someone and just having them share their, 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 their story, share their life, hearing their struggles, hearing their burdens, just listening to what they're going through, it means so much to people to be able to share with others and know that they're being truly heard. Barnabas, he listened to Saul. And then third, Barnabas believed in Saul. Though it'd probably be better to say that Barnabas believed in God's ability to transform Saul. And this is important because I think there's some people who just some people just don't believe people can change. They want to put someone in the box of sort of their past mistakes and just keep them there. They never want them to leave. They never want them to be anything else than what they used to be. There's a story about Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson worked for President Nixon, got caught up in all the Watergate stuff, went to jail. In jail, he became a Christian, and he actually founded the ministry, Prison, Prison, Prison Fellowship. And Colson then spent 40 years helping people hear and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially people behind bars. And yet when he died in April 20, uh, 2012, one newspaper article carried the, article, the headline, Charles Colson, Nixon's Dirty Tricks Man, Dies at 80. We just want to keep people in that box and never see them as anything else. And yet Barnabas was able to see past Saul's past. And to see the potential in this life for God to work. And you know, coming alongside someone means letting them know, I believe in you. I believe that God can use your life in amazing ways to build his kingdom. I believe that you, no matter what your past is, I believe that you have a place and a purpose in the church. And I believe that you can be free from your past and that you have a future in Christ Jesus. And that is something that so many people need to hear. Because people need to know that someone believes in them and that they believe that God can do a work in their lives that is transformational. And then the fourth thing that Barnabas did, and that's something that we all need to do if we want to be encouraged, is, that is he had the courage to take the risk. You know, the, the easy thing for Barnabas to do here would have been to do nothing. And if he did nothing, nobody in that church would have blamed him or even you know, batted an eye. 
But instead of doing nothing, he sticks out his neck. He puts his own reputation on the line to fight for Saul. And you know, if we want to encourage others, you need to know there's always going to be a risk. There's always going to be a cost. It may cost you your time. You may put your reputation on the line. It may risk, you know, having your feelings hurt or disappointment. It may mean, sometimes it may mean seeing a person fail and maybe fail more than once before they succeed. But you know what? We do it. Because, you know, it is always easier to do nothing, but when we see people hurting and in pain, nothing should not be an option. So we take the risk. And that leads to the final thing that we see Barnabas doing here. And that's lending Saul his strength. It's actually kind of funny because the way that verse 27 is worded in the Greek when it says, I forget it, it says he, he put hands on him when he took, took, he takes Saul and brings him to the apostle. He, the image there is he grabbed him by the, the scruff of the neck and drags him before the, the apostles. And I think he does that because Saul must have been so, so discouraged. Like he just couldn't get it done on his own after failing so many times. I just can't go through that all again. But Barnabas kind of comes in and says, you know what? This time we are going and we are going to do it together. And together they do get it done. You know, there's that passage in Ecclesiastes 4, beginning of verse 9. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Encouragement. It happens when we come, you know, when we help others meet needs in their lives that they can't meet on their own. It happens when we help others succeed at something that they have failed at alone. We lend them our strength, our abilities, our skills, our resources to get them through. We lend them our strength. And that's what encouragement is. And for Saul, what effect did that encouragement have on his life? Well, we're going on in verse 28, we see, so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and they sent him off to Tarsus. You know, in that verse where it says he went in and out among them, it means that Saul was now an accepted member of the church. That he, it means he came and went as he pleased. He was, still, he was one of them. And you know, he was still in danger. The people were still... People still try to kill him. Uh, you know, Saul actually has to flee the city once again and move to a new place. And in fact, this kind of becomes a Saul, for him, a pattern in his life. You know, he lives proclaiming Christ. He moves from place to place. He preaches Christ. He faces persecution, faces hardship, faces death. Uh, he's going to face that kind of resistance his entire life. But you know what? None of those things are going to stop him for a moment now because he's finally found his place. Now Saul can face those hardships that come his way because he knows he has the love and the acceptance of the encouragement of the entire church at his back. He can face it because he's no longer alone. And that support makes such a difference in his life and in his ministry. And it was all thanks to Barnabas, who just, he took a chance. 
to come alongside to encourage this new believer in Christ that other people were not willing to take a chance on. And you know, it wasn't just Saul who was blessed. Verse 31 says, So the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. You know, that verse is kind of a summary, not just of this passage, but of everything that's happened in the last few chapters. But Saul and his story are a big part of that. Because these are things that happen when God is at work and the church is there taking care of one another. There's peace, there's edification, there's comfort from the Holy Spirit and multiplication and people living in the fear of the Lord. Because I think those things, because Saul was a reminder to them that God was in control of all things. It was a reminder to them that God's plans are too big at times and too wonderful for us to see coming. And it's a reminder to them that God was bigger than any of their expectations. And they simply learned to trust in a God who could do anything. And you know, as we close this morning, let me give you one final truth that I want us to sort of hang our hats on. And that truth is this, that one person can make a difference in another person's life. And that person can be you. Because all that we heard this morning was just one man coming alongside another. And you have the power to do that. You have the power to offer encouragement. You can choose to be a Barnabas and to show up and show love and grace and encouragement to the people around you. To accept people where they are at and help them get to a place where they can live the life that God's calling them to live. Because again, there's going to be times when we all feel like giving up. Times when we, every one of us are going to feel rejected and alone or unappreciated, where we're going to come to a place where we have, we have struggles and difficult circumstances where we feel overwhelmed. There's going to be times in our life when we just run out of gas. And in those times, we need encouragement of our brothers and sisters in Christ to keep us going, to give us the strength to press on. So just take a few moments this morning just to think about some of the people in your life. Who could use a phone call or a note or, or a visit or just an encouraging word? Maybe there's a student, you know, who struggled with school this last year and they're unsure about their future. Maybe it's someone who's out of work and they just, they can't find a job. Maybe it's a young couple who's having trouble in those first steps of married life. Maybe it's a widow just in need of some company. Maybe it's someone who serves in this church so faithfully, week in and week out, and you can just say, you know what, thank you for what you do. Maybe there's someone in your life that tried something new and failed. And they're not sure if they want to try again. Maybe you're even sitting here in church and you think to yourself, well, I haven't seen this person or that person in a while. Why not just pick up the phone and let them know that they're missed? Because you know what, being part of a church doesn't mean just sitting in the same room together on Sunday morning and then going home. It means sharing our lives with each other, being there for each other. It means encouraging each other. There are people all around us who need that, who need that helping hand, who need that healing and restoration, who need you know, that kind word or a friendly face. There are people in our lives who need just that reminder that they have been forgiven 
or even a shoulder to cry on. They're people who simply need to be loved. And all of those things are opportunities for us to, to minister in, in God's love to them, to make a difference in their lives. And it's an opportunity to show and just the people around us encouragement and give them a Barnabas boost. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for encouragement. And Lord, even looking at my own life and the people who've stood by me so many times in the past, many of them in this room right now, um, Lord, what a difference that encouragement makes. What a precious word in a difficult time. And Lord, I pray that the people in this church would be like Barnabas and just encourage each other. Because, Lord, there's, all, as I said, there's times when all of us get down, all of us struggle, all of us feel overwhelmed, all of us even get to that place where we feel like in the circumstance, we, we, we just feel all alone. But Lord, we know we're not alone because you gave the church to us. You gave us the people around us, our fellow believers in Christ, to be there for each other. And we're called to be there for each other, to love each other and support each other and pray for each other and to encourage one another. May we be people of encouragement to one another. And may we have those eyes to see the needs around us. May we have those ears to be listening ears. And Lord, may we have the feet just to show up and be present in the lives of people who are struggling. And Lord, I pray that you would do that work in our church that, Lord, we would truly be a church that is accepting of people where they're at. A church that loves people, a church that encourages people and sees them when they're down and picks them up. And, oh, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would just do that work of encouragement in our church and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.